Thanks for joining us for a message from Reason Church in Portland, Oregon. We'd be so stoked to hear how this message has impacted your life. You can share your story by going on our website at reasonchurch.com. You can also partner with us financially by going on reasonchurch.com and giving on our Give page. You will be helping people find a reason to live for in Jesus. We're kicking off a brand new series that we're calling Voice Control. Voice control. Anybody hyped about this series? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. You know, Forbes magazine talks about how by 2020, 50% of all internet searches will be done via voice. And, uh, you know, that obviously has an effect to, like, web designers and the way they want to, you know, go about thinking how people are going to land on their page. But really, everything is headed towards voice control. You know, maybe you're an 80s child and you're like, yes, finally, I'm going to get Kit from Knight Rider. Like, I'm going to have that going on. I mean, there's Tesla. There's, there's uh, you know, Cortana. There's Siri. There's Google Home. There's Alexa. Alexa. Tell us a joke. Why did the pirates want to capture Nicolas Cage? Because they heard he was a national treasure. Man, Alexa, you're just always hanging out. You're always here to help. Alexa, like, uh, what, how much does, like, a blue whale weigh? Hmm, I'm not sure what you meant by that question. Alexa, how much does a blue whale weigh? An adult blue whale typically weighs 300,000 pounds. According to Wikipedia, due to their size, blue whales are never weighed whole but cut into blocks and weighed by parts. So there had never been an accurate measurement of blue whales' weights. We are living in the future, aren't we? We're just living in the future. It, it, I feel like I'm casting spells. I mean, you can get a vodka light I read about where you just speak to it and it turns on, it turn on, you just screw them into the light bulbs. You don't even have to get like special fixtures. You just screw them right in. They'll play music. You just speak to them. I read about this thing called the Scully uh, uh, voice activated motorcycle helmet where you can be Iron Man status. It will give you GPS in your visor and you can just talk to your motorcycle helmet. Like that, that is out of control. That is Tony Stark status to the max. Okay, the future is now, people. But what this series is about isn't so much just about, like, uh, hawking technology to you. Like, I'm not getting paid by Amazon to do this. It'd be awesome if I was, you know. But, uh, you know, we weren't sponsored by Apple or Siri to do this series. What we're talking about is that even though we're so quick to want to control things with our voice, oftentimes our voices are out of control. We want to control things with our voice, but oftentimes it's our voices that are out of control. I know that so many of us have said things. I, I think everybody in the room, I'm probably maybe the, the worst one in the, whole, in the whole building, just for having said things that I regret. Like having said things where, where later I'm looking back and I'm like, why did I say that? What in the world was I? How did that come out of my mouth? You ever heard of foot and mouth disease? It's a terrible disease. You just can't get your feet out of your friggin' mouth, you know. And, and, and I don't know if you've been in that situation. Uh, there was one time where I was sitting together. I, I told a story about, uh, you know, hanging out with the pastors at my old church um, last week. But I'm going to tell you another story. Uh, one time we were taking communion, all right. And we are up there, like, taking communion in between the services in this, in this big room. The, the lead pastor of this enormous church is there. All the pastors are gathered around. And, uh, and you know, Pastor Skip, he made this joke um, just this little comment where he's like, man, that is like kind of redneck. And I don't know why, but I just like felt this urge to like really think that was funny. And I was like, you know what states the most redneck? And, and I won't say it because 
I wouldn't want to offend anybody. Oh, it was Arkansas, okay? It was, it was Arkansas. I was making fun of Arkansas. And then, and then Skip just looks at me and he goes, he used to pastor a church in Arkansas. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I just overwhelmed with these horrible, like, what was I thinking? Why did I say that? Oh, and we live in a, in a culture where people say talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Oh, it's just words. It's just words. Actions speak louder than... But you know what? I found that words can actually speak pretty loud, can't they? <laughs> that, that you can actually accomplish a lot with some words. I mean, there are people, innocent people, serving life sentences because of a few words. People have been executed because of a few words. Wars have been fought by some cheap words. Uh, you know, online bullies have pushed people to taking their own lives just through the few strokes of a pen. Careers have been ended in less than 140 characters. People put a tweet online and their career is over. And we have more influence with our words than ever before. I mean, you can have 50,000 followers and just be some random high schooler from like, you know, Minnesota or something. And and you can have 50,000 people reading your words. And we have more influence with our words than ever before. We have almost less instruction than ever before. And we can say so much, and we have bigger and bigger microphones, but sometimes in our culture, I feel like we have less and less to say. And we can hear about the gaffes, and we can hear the online rants, and we can see the tirades, and we can hear about the little whispered conversations that got caught when the mic was hot. And that's what I'm calling my message today, because words matter, Words matter, but today we're talking about the hot mic. The hot mic. How many uh, uh, just wild things have people said because they didn't realize the cameras were rolling? They didn't realize that the mic was switched on. Somebody, something said behind closed doors, and then you know, a few years later, it could be, could be a long time later. Who knows? So many different people have fallen in this situation. And then when it does hit the press... And it hits the headlines, or the the word gets back to the boss, or somebody starts scrolling through your social media page, and there was a photo taken of you, or or, or something that you've done, and and, and everything gets back. What what do people say? They say, I would have never said that if I knew the mic was on. I would have never said that if I knew you were going to hear it. I would have never said that if I knew this other person was in the room. I never would have said that if if only I knew that it was going to go public one day. Well, I'm doing this voice control series that just like, I got to be careful saying her name because she's always listening. Alexa, just like Alexa. Oh, there she goes. She's, She's always listening. I'm here to tell you. Hey, there you go. That the mic is always hot. That the mic is always on. And the only way to avoid saying something that gets out later that you regret is by not saying it at all. That, 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 that if you don't want that hot mic tape of yours uh, blowing up on the internet one day, then you, we need to learn the words matter. We need to learn some voice control. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in these next week weeks. William Barclay, uh, he's a British commentator. I really, really love his stuff. And William Barclay had this to say. He said this, if your Christianity does not make you kind, it is not real. If your Christianity does not make you kind, it is not real. And I'm not saying overnight. 
One of the things we say at this church a lot is we say, let's grow together. That it takes time. That it's not instant. Sometimes we have this magic wand philosophy about Christianity. But the truth is, God's making us more human. Nothing in life really happens overnight. For the most part, growth takes time. It's gradual. But if you're not becoming a more and more kind person over time as a Christian, then you probably aren't a Christian. And the Christianity is probably not real. And if you're here today and maybe you don't even consider yourself a Christian, I would just ask you to consider. You know, maybe you're a skeptic, and that's awesome. We say skeptics welcome. We say doubters welcome. We welcome your questions. We welcome the intellectual obstacles that you have. That's why we call it Reason Church. We want you to think through your faith. But I would just invite you today to consider what the world would be like if more people live these truths out. Like maybe you don't even think Christianity is true, but I just want you to take off your skepticism just for one moment and say, what would your life be like if you lived like these things were true? What would your workplace be like? What would your home be like? What would your relationships be like? Maybe you don't even believe in Jesus, but what if you took time to receive his words? What could change? What could happen? That's what I want to invite you to consider this morning. We're going to be in the book of James. And speaking of skeptics, James was a skeptic. James was the little brother of Jesus. But there's actually a part in the Gospel of Mark, I think it's also in Matthew, where James and his brother Jude and some of his sisters come. And when Jesus starts saying that he's the Messiah, they start going, you are nuts. You're a psycho. Like, like you are crazy. They, they start trying to drag him home. They say, dude, like, no, don't do this. Don't try and do this thing. He was a skeptic until he saw his brother risen from the dead. And then he became one of actually the biggest proponents of Christianity. So you may be a skeptic here today. Maybe you can relate with James. Maybe you don't ever know what kind of letters you might be writing in a few years. You don't know what could happen when you meet the risen Christ. So James, who was a skeptic, becomes one of the greatest leaders of Christianity because he saw Jesus risen from the dead and his whole uh, position changed. And it would take a lot for me to believe that my brother was God. (laughs) I'm not just going to do that. (laughs) Like, that ain't going to happen, man. But James did. And this is a historical document. You may reject the Bible, but you still need to consider the data of this ancient document and what it has to say. So check this out. This is James chapter 3, 1 to 12. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what he says is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. We put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, and we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets, and I want you to really zero in on these words, it sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Father, we come and I pray that you would put those of us who do believe in you, I pray that we would come here in in a position where we'd, we'd be like, you know, just so willing to be controlled by your voice. That, that, that just at a moment's notice, we'd want to hear what you have to say, that we'd, we'd be all ears the way Siri is, or all ears the way Google Home is, that we'd be so eager just to listen to what you have to say, knowing that you want good for us. And when you speak, it's not to get us down, it's not to shame us or humiliate us, it's to save us. That you're not out to restrict us, you're out to rescue us. Lord, I pray you'd give us faith to believe that. And, and if there are people here, maybe are skeptical, Lord, I, I pray that you'd even just... Take out their, their heart of stone. Give them a heart of flesh, Lord. Speak to them this morning. You say this in Jesus' name, amen. First thought from this text is that voices alter courses. Voices alter courses. And you might have read the section about let not many of you be teachers. And I felt like the message really captured the heart of what the whole Bible has to say on this topic. We'll look at verse 1 in the message translation. It says this. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. When you look at the whole, what the whole Bible says, that really is the consensus. Because there's other passages that say, hey, he who wants to be a pastor, he who wants to be a bishop, desires a noble task. You know, it talks about in Hebrews that actually all of us should aspire to be teachers in the sense that we should grow mature. And that what maturity looks like is living an outward-minded life. The maturity looks like that you quit living about just consume, consume. It's all about me. What am, what am I going to learn? I didn't get anything out of that message. But you'd actually become a teacher. You'd, look, you'd, you'd come listening, wanting to raise other people up behind you. But this passage in particular just points that we shouldn't be in any rush to become teachers. I'm going to be judged strictly. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you're aware of the fact that when you accept Jesus, you pass from death into life. Jesus said, he who believes in me will not see judgment but he's passed from death into life, and you might be like, wait a minute, what's this nonsense about judgment? Hey, this will help you when you read the Bible later. Okay, hopefully you're going to read the Bible later. That's, that's a big part of what will change your life. But uh, this will help you when you read the Bible later. The Bible talks about two different kinds of judgments. There's judgments for people who haven't received Jesus, and guess what? Jesus is a judge, but he was the judge who was judged for us. The only one who's ever going to condemn anybody is the one who is condemned for everybody. That's what the Bible teaches. He's actually a qualified judge. He's going to judge the world with nail-pierced hands. That's what the Bible says. No other faith in the world teaches of a judge that gracious, that he served the sentence before he sentenced anybody. Amazing. But there's two different judgments. There's a judgment for non-believers, which is a judgment unto condemnation. It's a judgment unto condemnation. But the judgment that it's talked about here and that's talked about in places like a great text you could look at is 1 Corinthians 3. But there's a judgment not unto condemnation, but a judgment unto commendation. 
that for Christians, that we have a judgment ahead of us where everything we did is going to be evaluated. And it's not going to be a sentencing. It's going to be a ceremony. Think about that. It's not going to be a sentencing. It's going to be a ceremony. Uh, that like, like the judgment under condemnation, that's the kind of judgment that, that basically like the, the, the Supreme Court would do. You know, sentencing people. But the judgment that he's talking about here for teachers and, and for all of us that we need to be aware of is that there is going to be a judgment that's kind of like the Olympic Games. Like what did you do with what God entrusted to you? What kind of race did you run? And some of us Christians were like, what, I'm saved by grace. I don't care what I do with my life. No, you're going to give account for everything you ever did with every gift God ever gave to you. And there won't be any condemnation, but there will be commendation. And I'll tell you what, when we see him, every single one of us is going to wish we would have done more. We're going to see what he was worth. We're going to see what we wasted, every single one of us. We're not going to sit there and, and, and be like complaining like, oh, I didn't have enough, I didn't have enough of this. No, man, every single one of us is going to be, all, all, every mouth is going to be stopped. All the complaining, all the griping, all the excuses, it'll be over with. We're going to wish that we have ran a lot harder. But, you know, we're talking about teachers, and this is something I've got to be aware of. See, if you want to be a leader, you have to lead a life worth following. If you want to be a leader, you have to lead a life worth following. If you want to have any kind of control, you've got to learn self-control. That, that, uh, because something I've realized in my time being a, a pastor is this. What you as a leader do in moderation, the bad things, this is because of human nature. Well, you, the bad things you do in moderation, your people will do in excess. I'll just be real about something. I, 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 word got out that I like drank a hard cider. Oh man, he drank a hard cider. Oh my gosh. I think directly as a result of word getting out that I, that I did that one time, somebody on our team got a DUI. I think it was directly a result because I heard people bragging about our pastor drinks, our pastor drinks. Kid you not, a year later, there was somebody on our team getting a DUI. Because what you do in moderation the people who follow you will do in excess. And so that's why he's saying, hey, don't rush to be a teacher because you know what? You're going to be given a stricter standard. And he says that, that our tongues here, that, it, that it's like Gene Simmons, man. That the things that you say, sometimes I, ah, you know, that's what, it's gross, man. We got to think about how serious our words are. And we stumble in our words. The only thing worse than being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word is being a teacher of the word and not a doer of the word. The only thing worse than not being a a hearer of the word but not a doer of the word is being a teacher of the word but not a doer of the word. And I think that, I'll just be honest, like I need this series. I'm not up here on a pedestal like talking down to you guys. I need this series. I I want better voice control. I want to tame my tongue better. Hudson Taylor, who, uh, who just had explosive missionary work in Asia through so much persistence and faithfulness, he said this, If your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, even the cat and dog aren't happier for you being a Christian, then it's a question whether you really are. <laughs> so good. I love that. The cat and the dog. The Portlanders will love that. It's fantastic. You know, have anybody go to Purrington's? Oh, that's, that's so funny that that even exists. Like, what city has a place like Purrington's is a place where you can drink beer and pet stray cats? Like, it's 
fantastic. It's just wonderful. It's very therapeutic. A- anyhow, <laughs> it's a real place. <laughs> I digress. Um, point is, is that I can get up here and talk all great and talk about Jesus. But you know what? There are moments in my life that I'd be ashamed if you, if you heard the words that I've said. There are, there are moments in my home where, where, you know, in a moment of irritation, I've said things that I regret. I want better voice control. I want better voice control. So let's grow together. Can we agree this is going to be a short series? Can we make up our mind that our world needs this? That we want to be here for every week? That that, that we so desperately need to learn to control our voices? It's going to be a six-part series. I want to encourage you at least be here for like five of them. All right? Just commit with me. Like, we're going to be here. We need this. Your marriage needs this. Your workplace needs this. Your career needs this. Our church needs this. This city needs this. We need voice control. Words matter. Damage can be done through words. I read an article in Psychology Today. And maybe you think, oh, no, words don't matter. Whatever. I say whatever I want. It's not a big deal. You know, I read an article in Psychology Today about this girl named Eileen who said that 50 years later, she still had things her mom said negatively about her ringing in her ears every day. You're not good enough. You're ugly. You're worthless. You're not, you're not, why don't you work harder? You're never going to be beautiful like your sister. I mean, some of you can think about it. I read an article by the student, Michael Hyatt. He said when he was in about sixth grade, he, his first day of school, he showed up, and, and he didn't know anybody. And the first thing somebody said to him in the cafeteria was, Man, you have a huge nose. He said for the next 20 years, every time he looked in the mirror, he thought about that. You think your words don't do anything? Your words can set the course for somebody's life. We need some Smokey the Bear up in here. Worlds can start a wildfire. Only you can prevent forest fires. You can set the course of somebody's whole life on fire. Just through your words, the words that you say, you can change somebody's entire course. That's why he's talking about rudders on ships. And he's talking about bits that bridle horses. You can change somebody's entire course of life through your words. There's probably things that I have said that people think about every day. There might be things you've said to somebody that they think about every day. And you said it offhanded, backhanded, what? No big deal. Hey, toughen up. Grow a thicker skin. And that person may have that ringing in their ears. Maybe you're here today and you have things ringing in your ears. And you need, to, you need to see something else, too. The things that you say about yourself, and when you vocalize things about yourself, it changes you. See, when you have a negative thought, maybe it's, I hate that person. And that's just a thought. But when you actually say it, I was reading some neuroscientists. Uh, I'll put it on the screen. Um, Jessica Stillman, she, she wrote this article in Inc.com. She said this, synapses that fire together wire together. You get that? synapses that fire together, wire together. Whenever you have a thought, an electrical charge is triggered, and the synapses grow closer together in order to decrease the distance of electrical charge has to cross. Having a thought makes it easier for you to have the thought again. You get that? When you have a thought, And you think it again, your brain rewires itself, it molds itself, it morphs itself to make it faster to have that thought again. But I read that when you speak, you're actually using 70 different muscles, okay? And so when you take a thought 
And you not only just have the thought again, but then you go out of your way and you start using all kinds of different parts of, of, of your core, different cortexes of your brain, different sections of your brain, and you put that thought into words, you're actually rewiring your brain. You're using 70 different muscles. And when you say those words again, if you, if you say, I hate you to somebody, you're actually making yourself a more hateful person. You are literally rewiring your brain. You say, oh, you're ugly. You say something negative. You complain. You're actually rewiring your brain to make it easier to complain next time and easier to complain next time. And so if you sit there and you say, I'm worthless, I'm no good, oh, I'm tired, I can't do this, you're going to be more tired next time. If you say, oh, I, I, I can't do this, I, I'll, I'll never do it, you're actually making yourself more, it's more likely to get yourself in that place again. When you give your thoughts a voice, you give your thoughts influence. Would everybody say that with me? When you give your thoughts a voice, you give your thoughts influence. See, when it's just a thought, it's just a thought. You can just let it go. You can replace it with a different thought. But you think that thought again, you think that thought again, you start saying it, you start saying it to other people. You're giving it influence both over yourself and you're giving it influence to other people. That's why James says this. Check this out. Verse 6, he says, The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. See, when you give your thoughts a voice, you give your thoughts influence. And you give it influence both over other people and over yourself. The voices you believe determine the future you achieve. The voices you believe determine the future you achieve. You're actually changing your brain. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says this, Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. See, voices alter courses. You can alter other people's course through your voice. You can alter your own course. Other people's voices can alter your course. When you vocalize things, it changes you. But here's the deal. This isn't only for death. This can also be for life. This isn't just a negative series. I want to inspire you. I want you to see what power, what influence you have. That the simple words you speak when you go into a coffee shop, when you say it to somebody, that that you can change the course of their whole day, change the course of their whole life. You don't believe me? Check out this story. This was from the chief solutions officer at Google named Tim Sanders, who's now a leadership coach. He said that he would go out of his way just to show appreciation for employees for their work. He would just make it his goal every day to show some kind of appreciation to some kind of an employee on his team. Just not taking people for granted. Just go out of his way to voice appreciation. He went up to one guy and, and, and gave somebody positive feedback on their performance. And he said he appreciated their efforts. And he specifically told this one man, hey, I'm, I'm glad that you're in my life. I'm just glad you're in my life not taking people for granted. Want well, know what? The next day... That guy came in and bought that guy a really expensive piece of technology. The guy said, what did, I, what did I do this? He said, I, I hawked my revolver at a pawn shop that I was planning to shoot myself with. And I bought you this Xbox console as a gift to thank you. Because when you told me that you were glad I was alive, you saved my life. Just walking around, realizing... And we want to be, our goal as a church is this. We want to create a community of outward-minded Christians where we do everything with outsiders in mind. 
That's our goal as a church. We want to be a community of outward-minded Christians where we live with outsiders in mind. It's easy to live these small, self-obsessed lives. But if we just open our eyes and open our mouths, we could save lives. We could stand out. We could be set apart. We could make a difference. Every day could be an adventure. You could have a life filled with meaning. And we could have some stories worth telling and some souls that have been saved just because we chose to speak words of life. That's what James wants you to do. You have a choice in what you say, and you can change the world just through your words. All right, next thought is this. To move from cursing to blessing, you have to move from pride to praise. To move from cursing to blessing... You have to move from pride to praise. Maybe it's with your boss. Maybe it's with your coworker. Maybe it's with your spouse. Could be with your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Could be with your sister, your brother, your friend. Maybe each of you, I want to have you try to specifically think of an instance. Somebody who aggravates you. Or maybe there's somebody you really love. But you leave a situation and go, man, where did that come from? Why did I say that? Or why didn't I say that? Some people look back at their lives and they go, why didn't I ever tell my kids I loved them? Why why didn't I do that? Their kid's dead and they they wish they would have said something. Maybe maybe you can think of this situation where you either should have said something or you shouldn't have said something. And and you find yourself in this place and you just wish you could make the cursing stop. You're like, man, why did I do that? I love that person. I, I ripped them apart. Where did that come from? I like to call them deja vu dog fights. Deja vu dogfights, where it's like, deja vu, here, here it goes again, and you wake up naked in a field like a werewolf, and you're like, your clothes are ripped in shreds, there's a blood of villagers surrounding you, you're like, whoa, whoa, what happened? You know, it was the full moon again. It was a deja vu dogfight, all right? You just, you, 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 deja vu, here we go all over again. But look at what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. It says this, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that's not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, get this, so that no one can boast. You would feel like this is a tangent. You're like, this verse has nothing to do with speech. It has nothing to do with deja vu dogfights, arguing with anybody. What's this about? It has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it. If you've been coming to Reason Church a while, you know that what sets Christianity apart, what makes Christianity like no faith in the world is this. That salvation is a gift you receive, not something you achieve. That we're saved by God's mercy, not by our merit. That acceptance comes first. God accepts you. Why? Because of Jesus. And then obedience comes second. You know that in every other part of the world, every part of life, every other part of the universe, every other religion, obedience comes first and acceptance comes second. But this verse, we'll keep it up there. Acceptance comes first. Obedience comes second. We don't obey to prove that we are good. We obey because we believe that God is good. And some of you are tuning out. You're like, that's baby stuff. That's the gospel. That's for novices, whatever. I I don't need that. You couldn't be more wrong. You could not be more wrong. Because it says that no one can boast. Okay, get that. No one can boast. That's pride. 
It's like doing the end zone dance. Look how much better than you than I am. I'm so much better than you. Timothy Keller put it like this. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. See, many Christians know the gospel enough for it to be their message, but they don't know it enough for it to be their nature. And I'll tell you what, look what it, look what it says in this. James's whole point has been this. His whole point in chapter 2, a really kind of famous text, is that if we have bad fruit, it proves that we don't have a good root. And if you have bad fruit, it shows you don't have a good root. Maybe your roots aren't deep enough, or guess what? Maybe you don't have roots at all. It says, if our profession doesn't change our practice, it's just a pretense. If your profession, and I'm not talking about a job, I'm talking about your profession of faith. You're a professing Christian. If your profession doesn't change your practice, it's a pretense. That's been James' whole point, that you don't have roots. Your roots need to go deeper because if your roots were in God's grace, your fruits would be God's grace. If your roots were in God's grace, your fruits would be God's grace. But look what he says in verse 7. Likewise, he only talks about two wrong things we do with our tongues in this passage. He says this, the tongue is a small part of the body, but what does it do? It makes great boasts. It makes great boasts. It makes great boasts. What happens every single time you get in a fight with your wife? What happens every time I get in a fight with my wife or you get in a fight with your friend? Or you say something you regret to your coworker or you say something. Want to know what the underlying root of that conversation is? I'm right. You're wrong. It's boasting. See, the root of all cursing is pride. The root, of, and he goes on and he says, can a good stream put forth bad salty water? Can a, can a good tree put forth bad fruit? See, if our roots were in God's grace, our fruits would be God's grace. He says this, verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, And with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Ephesians says we're saved by grace so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. But here the tongue makes great boasts. We condemn ourselves, or we condemn others. Why? So we can justify ourselves. We prosecute others so that we can exonerate ourselves. We curse others to make ourselves look blessed. We curse others and make ourselves look blessed. But guess what that is? That's living in a system of merit. You're not living in a system of mercy. You're living in a system of merit. You're still living in a courtroom. But the gospel tells us you don't have to live in a courtroom. The verdict's already in. You're in Christ. You don't have to justify your actions. You don't have to try to prove that you're a good person. You're not a good person. But God accepted the unacceptable because of Jesus. And you can leave the courtroom and quit trying to prove that you're better than your wife. And quit trying to prove that you're better than your boss. And quit trying to prove that you're better than your sister. Because you're not better. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but have been justified freely by the grace that's in Jesus Christ. Let's leave the courtroom. See, what happens is, is when you feel deprived of love, you sometimes feel the need to make the person feel what you feel. But if you know that you're loved, 
and your roots are down deep in Jesus, you possess a well that never runs dry. You possess a well of love that you say, you know what, my, my spouse, my boss, they're not treating me right. They're not giving me recognition, but I know that I'm recognized. I'm recognized by the maker of the universe. Uh, they, they may not be loving me, but my roots are so deep. And, and I want to be real here. I get in those deja vu dog fights, but those deja vu dog fights are caused by gospel amnesia. Those deja vu dog fights are caused by gospel amnesia. You're a real mess if you're having deja vu and amnesia. You're like, I don't even, neurologists, they don't, I don't even know what's going on there. I'll be real. I do it. I argue. I activate my inner lawyer, and you do too. You activate your inner lawyer all the time. But if I believed that I was justified by faith, really believed it, like deep down, not just as my message, but as my nature, if I believed that, I wouldn't constantly be trying to justify my actions. Think about how much this could affect your life if you really believed it. If I really believed I was saved by grace, I wouldn't constantly be fighting to save face. Think about that. If I really believed that I was saved by grace, I wouldn't constantly be fighting to save face. If I really believed that I was accepted because of Jesus, I wouldn't constantly be trying to prove that I'm acceptable. And that's what you do every time you get into an argument. You're trying to prove that you're acceptable, prove that you're better, prove that you're right, or prove that you've got it. You're not trying to love the other person and build them up. You're trying to build yourself up. You're trying to build up a resume to, so, to show that you shouldn't be condemned. But guess what? Jesus says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if you believe that, you wouldn't have to prove how good you are to everybody. See, at the moment, my roots aren't in him. My, he's, all my fountains aren't in him. And when you know that you're not accepted because of your performance— You don't have to defend your performance and you can actually improve it. (laughs) Think about that. When you realize you're not accepted because of your performance, you can quit trying to defend your performance and just try to get better at it. You can quit trying to defend, oh no, I was so right and and I totally was vindicated. I was totally justified. You know, if you become teachable, you'll be unstoppable. But that boastful, prideful spirit, it makes you unteachable. Uh, actually, no, I'm a, I'm a perfect husband. No, I'm a perfect worker. I'm the best employee. I don't need any of your advice. No, I don't need that. Like, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Hey, if you're constantly trying to prove you're right, you can't fix what's wrong. But if you know that you're loved and you're accepted and you're adopted by God, even though you were wrong, even while you were a sinner, it'll make you teachable. And you can get better. And you can actually improve. We can't just come and praise God once a month, and really think that it's going to change us. It takes time for, the, for our roots to go down deep. And, 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 and I would just say one more thought, and that's this. That's this. James's point about, about we bless God and then we curse people made in his image is this. You cannot simultaneously praise God for his grace and prosecute people for their sins. <laughs> You'll either do one or the other. You can't simultaneously be praising God for his grace and then condemning other people, prosecuting people for their sins. Like if you really have your roots in the fact that Jesus, he he accepted you while you were unacceptable, then you'll be accepting of other people. 
And, and, that's, and, and we need community. I mean, we need people to, we, we need to sink our roots down in God's grace. We need people in our lives to speak grace to us. We need, we need some people to get the silver-handled dagger and stab us with God's word when we turn into werewolves. We need that in our lives, yo. And that's why I'm inviting you to, to be here for this whole series, to sink your roots down. If you want to grow up, you got to put roots down. All right, verse 7. Is that uh, this? It says, All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. He says that your tongue, your words, your voice, maybe you don't say anything to anybody else. You're like, But I don't ever say anything mean to anybody. I just don't say anything. Hey, you're talking to yourself all day long, though. Maybe you're a timid, shy person. You're like, I don't ever blurt things out. Yeah, but I know that you're talking to yourself. You're telling yourself you're worthless. You're telling yourself you're no good. You're too afraid to speak up because you don't, you don't think you, you'll, I'll get it wrong. I'll, why should I contribute to this meeting? I know that I'll mess it up. Hey, you're talking to yourself. Your tongue is untamable. It's an untamable tongue. It's an unquenchable fire. It's setting the whole course of your life on fire, and man can't tame it. Man's tamed all kinds of stuff. We tame lions. We got crazy lion tamers out there. We've tamed all kinds of beasts, tamed, tamed Shamu until he kind of gets you later. But maybe blackfish wasn't such a good, I don't know, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. James isn't necessarily endorsing this. <laughs> We've tamed robots. <laughs> we get robots, but we can't tame our own tongues. Our voices are out of control. You know who can tame the tongue? The one who made the tongue. You know who can tame the tongue? The one who made the tongue. And Jesus is the word of God. That's how Re- Revelation describes him. It says, what's his name? He's the word of God. How, how does First John describe him? He says, he's the word of life. Jesus is the word that can renew your voice. That's our final point this morning is Jesus is the word that can renew your voice. Uh, I'll do a little quick recap. Voices alter courses. To move from cursing to blessing, you have to move from pride to praise. But our final point is this. Jesus is the word that will renew your voice. I think there is somebody here and somebody lit a fire inside of you. And somebody told you you're ugly. Somebody told you you're worthless. And somebody lit a fire and it changed the course of your life. And you try to put out those fires and you try to, you try to fill yourself with alcohol or fill yourself with, you know, posing in front of the mirror or not eating enough or sticking your finger down your throat after meals or, 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 or trying to work so hard to get an education to show that you're not a bum or to try to win that gold medal because you never had that parent's approval. And you're trying so hard to get a career and you're trying to put out the flames and you're trying to scorch the voices that are inside your head and get them to go out, but they won't go out. They keep flaring up. They keep flaring up. You've tried to stop, drop, and roll, but it hasn't worked. And you feel like you're worthless. And you feel like you'll never amount to anything. And you feel like you're ugly. But I want to introduce you to Jesus. Because somebody else might have spoken words of death over you, but Jesus Christ, he made you. And Jesus Christ, he died for you. And Jesus Christ, he is the word of life. And there's somebody here, and somebody told them, you're a dirty girl. You're only good for dirty things. 
And you're living into that. And those words that that person spoke to you, you're living into that. You're living it out. You're living out of those words. Those flames have set the course of your whole life on fire. But Jesus Christ, his blood speaks a better word. You know what Jesus, your creator, your savior, you know what he says about you? He says that you're clean. He says that you're righteous. He says that you're adopted. He says that you're chosen. He says that you're beloved. He says that you're justified. He says that you're reconciled. He says that you're called to inherit a blessing that you might be a blessing. That's what the word of life says about you. And Jesus said this. He said, whoever, John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Your whole life has been set on fire by words you've spoken. Your whole life has been set on fire by words other people have spoken to you. But the word of life says that if you believe in him, that rivers of living water will start to flow out. And I want to tell you that we can be a church. We can be a church that speaks kindness to those who ignore us. That we can be a church that speaks love to those who speak death. That we can speak righteousness to those who speak hatred. That we can speak thanksgiving in a city that's full of ingra- ungratefulness. That we can speak praise in a place of pride. And that if we accept Jesus into our hearts, why don't you stand up to your feet? Let's sing this out. That we want to let his word go down deep into our souls so that we can speak words of righteousness in a world of wickedness.